Are you ready to perform at your highest potential? Welcome to the Performance Matters podcast from GP Strategies, your talent transformation partner. In each episode, we'll interview industry experts and explore best practices and innovative insights to help your organization improve performance. Hello and welcome to the Performance Matters podcast. I'm your host, Michael Thiel. We know that the world is in love with AI. I mean, there, there's no doubt about it. There is This is the fastest adopted technology out there. I, I think it beats the DVD. It beats MP3s. It beats uh, you know anything that you can think of. And so over the past year and a half, we've had some really good conversations, trying to get just the pulse of it, what's happening. Been a few months, we thought we're going to bring back a couple of our favorite thought leaders, those that are out there in, in the outer space that are exploring the AI world to really talk about the state of transformation as it pertains to AI and as it pertains to our world, learning, development, talent development. Pleased to be back here in the studio with Mr. Matt Donovan, Chief Learning and Innovation Officer here at GP Strategies, as well as Jeff Fissel, Vice President of Solutions. Both, as I said, are AI Argonauts. We're glad to have you back. I've got a couple of questions for you, you two gentlemen here as it regards to the state of AI. And, you know, I think one of the first things I want to just get the pulse from you two on is really addressing this potential challenge of you know, thinking beyond the lowest rung on the ladder is, have you two been seeing um, AI helping solve problems beyond just the idea of, hey, we want to do this faster and cheaper? Yeah, Matt, I'll take a first swing at this because I'm I'm thinking about, and, and feel free to jump in, you've been a part of this with me too. We have customers asking us to do, wanting to do jobs, I guess, that they wouldn't have considered doing before because of how either tedious it was or costly that was. So it does tie back to time and cost, but it's not the weird one or just trying to cut everything we're doing. Now we're actually able to do things we were never able to do before. And one kind of really tactical example there are customers doing like content rationalization projects. So understanding Hmm. their content libraries. Like no one really ever wants to go ask someone to go click next through a bunch of hour long e-learning packages and take notes and summarize them and categorize them for them. That sounds like a miserable job. It, um, it sounds terrible. News, it sounds good terrible. News, AI terrible doesn't job. complain about it. It just does it. Like it does it really wow. well and rather reliably. And I think some of those type of use cases have been really interesting to see people be like, oh, that's something I knew we needed to do, but that we were never able to even think about doing it before. So let me stop you right there before we even jump into that. When you say content rationalization, slow walk me through that a little bit. What is AI specifically doing in that use case? Yeah, I I think it's helping understand what's covered within the content that we have today. So typically we found when content was created, especially I'll say SME generated content or user generated content that exists in your organization, is they spent very little time giving it a proper title description, learning objectives, outcomes, or those sort of things. They created it really quickly for a purpose, got it out to people, and then it got lost in the LMS or the LXP or the SharePoint site somewhere. So this is helping people understand what's there with the lens of, do I need to go buy more content to close that gap? Is that content not getting used? That's where the rationalization, once I understand what's in the content, I can do a better analysis of rationalizing whether I need it or not, or I need to improve, change, modify, things like that. 
it also plays into the constantly changing things. So say something changed in your workflow. You might not know all the places in your content library where that workflow was referenced. You could very easily ask the, the our AI bot to go in and find all the places that's referenced for you. So now you have a list of all those courses and slide numbers or minute markers and videos of like where that was covered. So you can easily go back in and update or modify that. That's amazing. I picture, uh, you know, back one of the earliest DVDs, we mentioned DVDs earlier, the Matrix, where you had the little bots crawling around in the Matrix. I'm picturing bots crawling around in your LMS looking for references to content that somebody's created and then moved on after, you know, compartmentalization and just moved on to the next thing. What a what a powerful thing. Thanks for that, Jeff. Matt, anything, any thoughts you have on this? I mean, what are you seeing out there as well? I mean, I think it's the things that we're we're seeing now just kind of emerging. But you know, outside the L and D spaces, it's been working on tons of things. It's been doing you know everything from aiding and and helping physicians diagnose, being able to better read X-rays at scale. There's a lot of things that it's not just doing it faster, but it's actually helping do it better. But in the L and D space specifically, I would say that one of the bigger areas is personalization. It is not just about faster or cheaper. It's about being able to do something we couldn't do yesterday. And I think the ability to kind of personalize the learning down to the individual is where it's going to start to help. So what does it know about the individual and then the content and make that connection to start bringing that together? Starting to see more and more of those applications in that space. Adaptive learning were the early entrants on that. So adaptive learning platforms, you basically go out, you take, you answer some questions and then based on your performance or mastery on it, you get other generational information about it. But it also looks at not only just how did you perform, but how did other people like you? So this starts to create a path for you. We've actually moved hmm. that and started to get into deeper personalization with additional data helping shape that out. So those are some of the things that I think, you know, it's not just about faster or cheaper. It's about things we couldn't do yesterday. Well, Matt, and I like the, the do better part of it. I think there are some strengths AI has, and we talk about human plus AI, and I know we're going to get into more of that, but hey, let's lean in on the things that we know AI is good at and lean in on the things humans are good at and like optimize our strengths in that case. Like to my point, clicking next on a bunch of e-learnings is probably something that I think everyone is probably like, yeah, yeah, let, let the robots do that one. They're, they're going to be better at it than us. <laughs> the AI. I shouldn't say robots. Let the AI do that. Yes, yes. Well, you know what? That brings me up to the second question I had for you both. And that was the, the reality is that organizations have a lot of existing technologies. I mean, things that are well entrenched that are just part of what you do. I'm curious from your seasoned perspectives here. What are you seeing in terms of um, the way AI is starting to be integrated in with the type of tools people are already using and uh, and kind of that interplay between that technology and the human? I'll, I'll start off with it. And I think one of the fundamental ways is the way you're approaching it. And I think you talked a little bit about that, but it's it's how it's being integrated into, not layered over. And I think this is one of the lessons learned that companies have started with before the generative AI ruled out. If you ask them what the return on the investment in AI was going to into the business functions. And so the AI has been in the in the you know, financial space for tons of years. But the difference was, did they integrate it or did they try and layer it over? If you're not really adjusting the workflow and changing what the human does and what the AI does and how that actually drives the work outputs, if you're not really adjusting that, you're just layering it over and you're only going to get minimal success out of that. So taking a step back to really think about how you integrate it into what you're trying to drive as an outcome, 
That's one of the big differentiators. So it's one of those things that are challenging us to not just do the things we did in the same as we did yesterday, just with a new tool. We're having to take a step back and say, how do we actually do this really much more efficiently or better or a way we couldn't even do it at all yesterday? Matt, I, I like, I mean, it kind of plays into a little bit of rethink, like, is the goal to build, I'll stick to my hour-long e-learning example, is the goal to build hour-long SCOs faster and cheaper? And I think to your point, no, that's not the, that might, we might want to rethink that one. If we go build, if we go buy a tool that just lets us build a bunch of traditional e-learning way faster and cheaper. Is that kind of what you're saying there? I just want to make a yeah, I mean, I think it's in the delivery is how we actually get it done. The outputs that we have outside of it, you know, one of the things I talk about is this bounded versus boundaryless uh, learning. As as we look across mm. the five moments of learning need, formal to informal and social, depending on how you want to break it down, it's being able to create content assessments, diagnostics, things that actually move beyond the boundaries of just a fixed course in itself, a fixed size, a fixed modality. You start to think of it as almost building things in an atomic structure that can be reconfigured to meet a range of needs, whether it's in the first moment of learning need or when something changes, when something goes wrong, you can actually use it and it helps apply that. But Or when I need to innovate and, and drive in a different direction. How do I start to meet that? But that's not how we've designed in the past. It's not how we've built. We built it through an efficiency with the limitations we had. We built the course, one hour, it was easy to deploy, and that was all we could really kind of do at that time. Now we can actually build for multiple outputs. Yeah, I think that's super key to me. When you're referring to the moments uh, of learning need, and what I think is intriguing to me as someone who might be more considered a creative or a content developer is if I do not have to go outside my existing workflow. So let's say instead of generically, whether it's chat GPT or, or Gemini or something where I have to literally leave what I'm doing, if it's an e-learning authoring platform and I have to go out there and in a vacuum query it and come back over. I feel like to me, that's a heavier lift for the, the everyday worker. But if you've got an AI element integrated into whatever system it is, and as you said, okay, um, maybe we need to adapt a certain resource for um, a new hire or for this or that. And, and, you know, right within that same system, I can plug in and at this point, an AI type resource and say, hey, let me give it some human language and say, can you adapt this quiz for a new hire? That is a really exciting type proposition. I'm curious, are you seeing things like that? I mean, honestly, that is that is the vision. What you talked about is where Microsoft has been building towards for a long time. And you're starting to see it in Copilot, um, but in their Viva suite. I mean, the way that they set up Teams originally was to be the desktop of the future. So the Teams and the they've got the 365 with the PowerPoint, the Excel, all your tools, mm -hmm. your collaboration space. And the idea was to kind of create a room with no doors, but lots of windows to be able to kind of bring information in. So basically their, their goal was to kind of create a virtual room of requirement and then everything would be brought into you into that space. So Viva makes the connections out to your information, your instruction, all those kind of things, kind of brought it back into you. Then you bring Copilot, which is almost that agent connective tissue that helps you do that. So whether you're in PowerPoint or you're in Teams or you're in another tool, you have some type of AI generative element that is helping you along the way. So their goal, that's what they've been doing. And what the underlying water, all of this is 
tracking the data around your productivity. So it, it knows when and what you're kind of doing based on what you're working with. And then it can tee up the right thing that you need at that time. Hasn't been 100% stitched together, but all the pieces are, are being assembled. And you can definitely see where they're going. And, and they're not the only ones. I mean, Google with their workspaces are also working on some more offerings. Even in Salesforce, for example, salesforce.com, which has been doing it in the sales space, trying to kind of get you in this and you never have to leave to get what you need. So adding Slack into it and others, that's what they've been building towards. But that productivity to be smarter about what you're doing and when you're doing it so I can get you in the flow of work, that's a pretty powerful side. You know, last time we three were here in the virtual studio, there was some discussion about protocol of, you know, inviting a meeting bot into a meeting. And so it's been a few months. So I'd kind of like to check back with you two on that one. You know, just you two reflect back. Tell me what's been going on. Have you, has it been helping or has it just been a fun curiosity? I mean, where are you at right now with the, the meeting bots? Matt has <laughs> now just uh, intentionally just rejects all my meeting bots that show up to meetings. Uh, no, but is that I, the real one dissenter and the bots out? Is that the idea? I think to me, I found like the generic meeting recording bot, I found less useful than just recording tons and tons of meetings. I found it very useful in deliberate discussions, a design thinking workshop, a requirements gathering initiative, a thing where we traditionally would have taken really, really good notes. That becomes a really useful tool when it's a structured conversation. The show up to my team meeting and try to figure out what's going on. Like I found that the results there to be less, less useful, but I don't know, Matt, if you've seen. No, I, mean, I think, I think that's absolutely. And, and the, the coaching that I've had is put a structure to your meeting. If you want to get the value out of the note taking on the back end to drive action items, follow up, make some adjustments to make the tool work better. Most of the people that I've been talking to have been kind of, yeah, it does some things and it's pretty good when it does it, but they still have to kind of sort through who was the speaker, who said what. The tools are actually getting better. I think even when you look at it, Copilot has a feature to do some of those things, to be able to summarize your output, uh, even better than some of them. But you do need to make it so that the bot can actually do its job well. So structuring parts of your meeting where you will have like and summarize the outputs that's the really meaningful part of the section. We had a nice discussion. Let me summarize even what I heard everybody say. And then the, then it can actually really help do that. And then it's a very focused part of the meeting, stuff like that. The tools, I think, you know, the, the concept that automatically it will make complete sense of some of the wild, screwy meetings we sit in all the time. I'm like, we were all over the place and good luck bot figuring out meaning of what we just talked about. Be intentional. And I think it's be intentional when you're using it. And be intentional when you bring it to the uh, to the table, and then how you use it in the meeting. Be intentional around that. I think that's the just you know just we are humans. We tend to just be unstructured sometimes and and meandering, and it makes it really hard for the tools we have to make sense. And I think those will kind of bringing it back to the original question. Even will become just native parts of meeting tools that we use. Yeah. And my I think I've even said this before on a podcast. Like I think it, we'll talk less about AI farther out if we do it right. Like it'll just be capabilities that are enabled, just like what database someone uses in their application. We very rarely ever ask that question anymore, but in the mm. early 2000s, you did. Like you cared about the structure, the data structure, all of those sort of things much more. 
my assumption is that AI will be like that and it'll be just a capability that's there and part of the tools and systems and productivity apps that we use every day. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because, you know, one of the Matt is for those that are not uh, aware of this for full disclosure, I report directly to Matt. But one of his challenges to us as the group is that we, as part of the innovation group, is we need to be actively present and using and testing uh, AI on a daily basis. So I will say, if I may report back for a second, in, in the past couple of days, I've been using it, treating it like my research assistant for uh, an upcoming event for a, a major manufacturer and have been asking it very specific questions. In this case, if I may disclose that I've been utilizing our internal uh, Microsoft Copilot yeah. uh, plugin, and I've been just putting it through its paces. I set it at precise where I have citations and you know, everything I can check as a human, but I've asked it very specific questions that I would ask, like if I had magically a couple of research interns, and I have to say, I've been pretty darn impressed yeah. with the quality of its information. But at the same point, I have still said, okay, I'm the professor here. I need to now take this and make sense of it and use it. But in terms of bringing me quality raw content versus me having to sift through 19 websites, I've got to say, uh, I'm pretty darn excited, you know, just as, as an initial user. I totally agree. Like, man, I was mildly skeptical of the hallucination, all of that kind of stuff. But man, how quickly have I gotten comfortable with Bing and or Google, even in my personal life, when I search for something? generatively summarizing what I'm getting at based off of the sites that are there versus me having to click through five sites. Yeah. Um, I'm like, eh, I trust that. Like my level of trust of that has gone up so quickly uh, because I agree with you. It's gotten pretty good and accurate to the level I would have been even if I went to the site and cited the source myself. So I, I definitely think it's gotten better and people have gotten better at using these tools. So it's becoming less and more aware yeah. of the implications of it. So it's less, I feel like a year ago when we were doing this, it was all about hallucinations. It's going to make everything up. Uh, it's not right. It's going to say it confidently and inaccurately like several uh, vice presidential candidates from the past. And I'll tell you what, what I've loved the most is the fact that it brings up all the little citations. So then I can go in and fact check and go, I can quickly determine, yeah, it didn't quite get that right, but I didn't have to make all those citations. Mm -hmm. I, you know, it already gave me like its best shot, and then I could go look at it and and then you know take it from there as as someone from the industry. I was like, okay, I see where you two are coming with this. Um, I can see why there's a lot of promise and, and hype as it's gotten better and better over the past year. And I, I think that brings me to the the third uh, point that I wanted to really key on. And this is something, Matt, I know you have been very passionate about saying uh, on the GP side is you have really um, advocated for a, a concept that you've called humans plus AI as the GP approach or recommended approach. And I'm curious if you just share more about how you arrived at that term. It sounds great, humans plus AI, but just want to know more of, of your perspective and thought on that. The human in the loop you know, always has to be there. I mean, AI, you know, completely taking the human out. I think we're slowly putting that to bed more and more. This is a tool to be used by humans, with humans, for humans. 
but you have humans that are helping work with the inputs into it and then the outputs that it comes out of it, being able to apply, refine those. So they're wrapped around that. But I think it's not just the way in which we've done things in the past. It's actually, we need to be the humans we need to be to be the humans plus AI. So I think you were just giving a great example of saying, hey, I went through and I researched things and I came through and I and was able to give you some good information and very helpful with that. But you do need to validate that. You need to make sure that it's accurate. You need to bring your experience, your expertise to bear with the information that you have. And so it had, that's how we will be able to get to the outputs with it. I think there's some data and I, I don't have the research handy with me, but they've started to see is that when... AI starts to consume more and more of just AI generated material, the actual quality in the production goes down. So when we hmm. ways you measure it of not just, does it kind of look like the type of output it would be, but is it specific? Is it interesting? Is it valuable in the outputs that those markers start to drop off? And so it's that element that the humans are using it, applying it, adding to that base of which then will be ultimately reconsumed by the system. Hmm be part of the process. The humans are good at context, cultural understandings, ethical applications. These are the things that are in the boundary around those outputs that we have come out. And that's why it has to be the humans plus AI. A lot, I mean, the extension of that is people have been asking, you know, will AI take my job? And then the answer is AI is probably not going to take your job. If somebody else that uses AI better than you will be your bigger threat. As to <laughs> the idea is how do we actually learn how, how to do that? Real quick, there was just one thing we were actually running the AI course. It was a great discussion thread. I threw out there in a talk. It was about Milton's Paradise Lost, a summary of Milton's Paradise Lost. And I was telling the story about, and, and when I was in 11th grade, and was reading. And if you don't know, this is a very long, very painful book to kind of get through. <laughs> uh, so I was like, I started reading the first stuff, kept falling asleep. So I went out to Cliff's Notes. For those of you who don't know Cliff's Notes, it was the early oh, yes. free tool before. And I'm going through and I'm espousing about the characters and the plot <laughs> points. And my English teacher says, "What's? how was it written? And I mean, what do you mean in English? What do you, how was it written? He says, no, really. If you read this, you could tell me very quickly how was it written. And I was like, what I didn't know is that it's called an epic poem. So the whole thing is written as a poem. And if I'd actually wow. read the book, I would have known because I didn't even think to ask what is the format it was written in. But the idea is that if you if, if you don't bring the experience, I could have a lot of knowledge about the book, but I was lacking the experiential expertise depth of, of experience, the writing that we have out there. It's that if I had read the book or if I'd read parts of it or I interacted differently with it, I'm not saying you don't use a summary, but it's like you can't just stop to have AI be your brain, you have to, <laughs> right. you have to bring the experience the connection with it. Yeah. That's where the humans themselves have to be better at what we're really good at and what AI is not. That That's going to be the hard part. I think that's the bigger challenge is, is AI itself will be able to kind of work with it. It's the work we have to do with the humans to really use this tool well. What is it? My analogy has been like, you know, think of us as lumberjacks and we've all been using axes and now we're passing chainsaws out to everybody. Thing is, how do we use efficiently, effectively and safely without dropping a tree on someone's house? You know, this <laughs> is the big thing. That is an amazing analogy. Like I didn't have that exact analogy the past couple of days, but I was like, whoa, somebody just gave me an upgrade 
just like how Google was a massive upgrade, no shot, no offense to the old school Yahoo back in like 97, you know, when you had humans, yeah, when you had humans indexing the internet and going like, here's my little recipe book of everything that's great. Like that made Google a lot of money. But then when, you know, Sergey Brennan said, hey, let's use bots to look for hyperlinks. That was way better. And now this time I'm using this stuff. I'm going, this is way better. I mean, it's it's like, whoa, yeah, Chainsaw is right there on that one. So it's a, it's a crazy. Great one of my favorite quotes from Matt that I want to get framed for him at some point. So I can go behind him on this office. <laughs> cross stitch. <laughs> cross stitch it. Yes. I'm going to get it. Uh, go on Etsy for this. You can't blame the bot. The failure is on the human. Like, it's not. <laughs> You're the one asking it to do it. And I just love the it's not it's not the bot's fault. It's the human that told the bot. <laughs> you gotta be in the loop on it. Okay, I love that. Don't blame the bot. Okay, that's another we gotta start making shirts here. I think we yeah. could retire from GP. Uh, not that we're not all completely happy with our jobs here. Just start making t-shirts with those. I, I think just t-shirts. We're gonna make t-shirts that. that are part. I think we need to get merch for the Performance Matters podcast. So like, subscribe, hit that uh, link below for your, uh, your shirt. <laughs> oh, my God. That is that is so good. Okay. So what I'm hearing here, just to put a bow on this third one here of humans and AI from both of you, is that it's still the human that's driving the interaction. The key here is to bring your fundamental humanness here, your creativity asking the thoughtful questions and as you mentioned kind of like when you take a uh use a real old school like a mimeograph or, a, or xerox and you make a copy of a copy of a copy if ai you know is just looking at other ai generated content over and over and over like you said the effects start to get diluted i mean it really runs on looking at uh, a lot of human bait at least on the generative words and, and concepts like that it's really saying I need to ingest a bunch of human created content and then then I can parse out uh, the key things. Is, is that fair to say? Is that accurate or not? Am I missing it there? Yeah, there's lots of science fiction movies and shows out there about clones of clones. It, it never goes well. <laughs> it never goes quite well when you have a clone. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I was going with multiple right, so and Michael <laughs> where he had like oh yes <laughs> yes the last one was the worst one <laughs> yes we need we need an affiliate link for that movie on Amazon on our uh, on our chat thread yeah. here and then we can all retire okay I think the last thing I wanted to ask you too because I know I know we're we're trying to keep these in in the shorter range for the, the drive times for folks here. You know, I was curious just within what you two have been seeing, hearing, you know, what are the trends right now when it comes to enterprise AI for learning and development? So any big uh, trends, things we need to be aware of? Jeff, I'm gonna go to you. You're the vice president of solutions. Let's put so you on the hot seat on this one. I think people are realizing that you can't just point AI at a bunch of junk. That's the junk in junk out sort of kind of analogy has become really true so just because i have magic ai tools i can't for point to my lms and say magically fix my lms there's still a lot of hard work that has to go into like getting that data ready clean normalized structured into a way that is 
ready to start to take advantage of some of the really cool generative stuff that we're seeing. And I think that to me is really what the enterprise needs to focus next is getting that data set ready so we can take advantage of those generative tools. And then the, the second part of it is we realize we know what good looks like and AI might not know what good looks like. So we have to tell it. We have to build that into our prompts, our systems, our fine tuning, whatever we want to do and give it examples of this is what good learning is. The five points of learning need, the stuff Matt has mentioned, like Matt's an L&D expert in all of this stuff, like that knowledge needs to be in there so that it doesn't mm. just return, it, this doesn't become just a race to mediocre generic learning content <laughs> that no one wants to take. Because if we're not careful that, I am convinced that will happen. What, what the AI will make us dumber? I think that was one of my other quotes, if, we, if we're not careful. <laughs> you called me once on that very aggressively <laughs> in a call, yes. No, I think just the trend-wise, I think organizations are start starting to wake up to. So when we talk about the trends, I, I consider them moments of awareness or enlightenment as companies start to get into and use this. So there's the first thing of the, the magical moment of, wow, AI and generative and what it can start to do. And you build the peak of you know inflated expectations with it. I think the other side is that in order to avoid the traf, trough of disillusionment, which pops in, is you start to really get to how, did, how can we really apply this in meaningful ways to be able to solve things. But the head fake here is don't just try to do it the way you did yesterday. You really have to think differently about that. And that's going to take time and energy. And actually, I think this is the one thing is that that awareness where organizations are looking for the immediate, it's going to make everything cheaper. I, I can reduce my workforce to be able to do this. You're actually going to have, I think, a bulk or burst of energy where you have to figure out how to use AI. There's more activity there. And then as humans, we're going to have to learn how to use it, which means it's a difference which means there will probably be a little bit of a productivity gap because we're doing something new and different with it. So there are huge hmm. amount of things, but these are foundational components you're putting into place that will, if you do this right, you spend the time to really rethink about the workflow, you rethink about structuring your data, you, you, re, you, you restructure your commitment to how you're bringing those tools to bear in the organization, those all create a great foundation for a huge trajectory on the other end. If you don't tackle these things to begin with, you're only going to get incremental returns on that investment. You won't really get to that paradigm shift, that big scale. I mean, we're, we're talking about the ability to move from propeller planes to jet engines here. We're able to cover mm. distance, carry more weight. We're able to go places we weren't able to go before. It's a paradigm, but if you put the infrastructure in place, you have to be able to do that. And I think that's where the trends are. When I call about the trends, it are these levels of unlocking the awareness of, okay, this is what we need to do. And what are the best practices on how you do that? That's part of what's really emerging is seeing how we can do that efficiently, uh, effectively at scale, build that foundation as quick as possible. So. Uh, the trends are, we're always going to see really cool applications are great. I think the deeper trends are coming to grips that structure the data, build the humans, work in the systems, prepare your leadership. These are the big things. So Jeff and Matt, people are hungry for how do you do these things, as you said, okay? The fact is GP Strategies, we're a workforce transformation company. My challenge out to uh, you two are, what are we doing about this to help be part of the solution for organizations? 
a couple of different um, offerings that we're working with. So we, we are currently working with several of our, our partner organizations as they're starting to think about their L&D, how they're reshaping it. But one of the key steps has been we pulled together a series called Practical AI for the L&D Leader that really allows you to look and think about progressively how do you start to think about the organization, the L&D unit itself, and then the individuals as they're starting to progress. What do I need to do differently? What do I need to be putting in place? And so we'll be running that session, an open enrollment session. Uh, we're we're going to be uh, taking in enrollments now, but it'll launch in April. And so we've got a, it'll be our second run of this thing. It's going to be fantastic. Lots of great feedback on it, but it's very practical. That Our goal was to be practical with it, not just in the nice and the theory space. We will cover you know, the range of what it is, how it goes through, but we really want to get down to how people are using it, how you can use it, what do you need to put in place to really make it work for your organization. So that's definitely one of those things we're bringing together uh, very specific offerings. Um, we're also running, uh, we got a workshop on prompt engineering, for example, very practical. Uh, we often customize it to the organization and how they're using it. Uh, we have several of our partners that have started to implement their own version of GPT-4 in their like an Azure environment or another tool. So they're starting to build these in-house tools and they need to help people uh, do some prompt engineering. We're also partnering with some great organizations out there that are also bringing things to, to bear as well. A couple of AI academies we're also partnering with for the broader AI for everyone offerings, as well as scaling up in, in the areas of data. We do a lot in the measurement space, which measurement and data feeds a lot of what we're talking about AI. So we're doing it in several different dimensions. We're having great conversations. We run the Innovation Kitchen as well, which is another component of this. And part of that is looking at all the emerging tools and platforms that are coming out there and saying, you know, how can we better use these tools to solve a problem that we're seeing safe, accurately, you know, we get into, depending on your need, use this over that. So we're agnostic, we're trusted advisors in that space. So while we do have partnerships, it's very broad in that sense. Our goal is to kind of kill the shiny objects and bring those tools or platforms and AI in those platforms is a big uh, part of what we're exploring currently. There's just a handful of things we currently are doing. So that's a pretty impressive list. And, you know, it does my heart good to see that we are actively participating in it. We're studying it. We are not only doing that, but, you know, we are, are suggesting, as you said, practical solutions and ideas to help organizations uh, get their handle on this. I know you two are both active uh, practitioners. And, you know, on behalf of our listening audience, I want to thank you both for carving out the time here. I think we've come up with a couple of good uh, t-shirts that we can sell that are <laughs> AI related. Now we need to get on Dally and get the images created for the t-shirts. And, and I'll, I think we'll be all, all set there, but yeah, <laughs> gentlemen, I want to thank you so much for your time. And I look forward to our next conversation. The Performance Matters Podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies. Together, we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts or listen on our website at gpstrategies.com.